This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello, I am back for the third season. And wow, so much has changed since season two. Mainly in that I've been on my own journey through pregnancy and have joined this crazy, incredible club of motherhood. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pip a practicing NHS midwife and enthusiast of all things women's wellness. I have a somewhat relentless passion for ensuring women are empowered with real, honest and reliable information and support throughout their pregnancy. Because my goodness, pregnancy is such a powerful time in a woman's life that is often miraculous and challenging in equal measures. Over the upcoming weekly episodes, I am joined by many leading experts to bring you the evidence-based information and top tips to navigating your pregnancy and motherhood journey that you need to hear. Needless to say, I had my notebook at hand when recording this season, and I would recommend the same for you too. I hope you're ready for the giggles, knowledge bombs, and empowering chats to commence. But before I get quizzing our guests on this season, I have some questions for you. Have you found yourself with unanswered pregnancy questions? Have you been guilty of trying to navigate the rabbit warren of inaccurate information on the internet? Do you feel that extra support and guidance would be useful to you? If you answered yes to any of these, then fear not. My exclusive Your Pregnancy Journey course is for you. Spaces are limited, so if expert guidance through each stage of your pregnancy and birth preparation and a community support group with 24 access to asking questions sounds like it's for you, then head over to www.midwifepip.com now to check it out. And I look forward to getting to know you better and ensuring your pregnancy journey is the most empowering and positive it can be. You'll also find information all about my antenatal course options on my website. And any questions about choosing the right course for you, then please get in touch via the contact page. And I'll be there to help you navigate the right choice. You navigate your way through pregnancy, birth your baby like a total warrior, and voila, you have entered a new club of parenthood, a whole new adventure to be explored with a whole heap of uncertainty. The first few months of your little one's life are so precious 
and every parent is on a mission to help nurture their new baby in the healthiest way to enable them to develop and thrive. So what should we actually be doing with our new baby in these earliest days? And how can we help have a positive start to parenting? Fear not, we have an expert joining us this week to share her top tips on those early parenting days. I don't know about you, but I'm getting my notepad and pen at the ready for this one. Jen Butler is a registered nurse and midwife, maternal and child health nurse, lactation and sleep consultant, and circle of security facilitator. Jen's work is to support mums and dads in getting to know, understand, and support their baby and toddler so they can love being a parent. So Jen, welcome, and thank you so much for giving up the time to join us on the podcast today. I know you're an exceptionally busy lady, um, and joining us from overseas, we've managed to navigate some impressive time zones. So yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> My pleasure, and I'm so excited to be on. Amazing. It sounds like we've got an absolute expert with all of your qualifications. So I am going to be picking your brains, expecting our little one in a week's time, plus or minus. Um, so yeah, I am all ears for this chat. So thank you so much, Jen. Now I know that recently, Jen, you have been through these early parenting days yourself. So not just supporting all of those families out there, but really experiencing it. And it's very much pending for me at the moment. So one of the things I really wanted to kick us off with, because we hear about it all the time, and that is the idea of routines and the reality of this. In fact, I found myself recently explaining to my husband that the baby is not going to know the difference between day and nighttime when he's first born. A groundbreaking moment for him. Um, but what can we expect in these early days? And when can some of perhaps those elements or ideas of routine start to be introduced? Yeah, and that is like, it's such a great question. I think that like, even just going in with that mindset around the fact that days and nights are reversed is one of the best things that you can understand in the newborn days. So as you mentioned, like the most common sleep patterns that we see in the newborn is that day-night reversal. In the, and it's usually the first six weeks. It tends to resolve itself after about six weeks when, and I often refer to it to families as your baby wakes up. And it's like you've got this super sleepy newborn that sleeps the day away, but then tends to party all night, which, you know, it, it usually then means the days are easier and the nights are trickier. And then when that shift happens, it's really like your baby's more awake during the day. And sometimes then those naps can become a bit more challenging during the day, but those nighttime sleep cycles start to consolidate. So I think that the biggest thing around routine is starting to reshape the word routine in that first three months and looking at it more like rhythms. So, cause I mean, I think when we think about routine, we usually think about times on it, don't we? Where it's like, seven o'clock wake and we feed it this time and we feed it this time. And there's lots of resources out there that will talk about that in the early days, but it's, it's not super realistic, I would say, because the thing is, is our little babies, especially in the first six, or six to 12 weeks, really, we're establishing breastfeeding if that's how we're choosing to feed. And rather than feeding to clocks, we have to feed to the cues of our baby 
And we can't time that. You can't say, all right, at eight o'clock, we're going to feed. Because if Bub needs a feed, it's, you know, it's five minutes after you've just fed or it's just not going to work. And so then sleep times are going to then be quite, you know, um, unpredictable in that sense too. So I think going in with the mindset that strict routine is not what we're aiming for in those newborn days, but you can start to follow some rhythm. And you can start it from the get-go where it looks a little bit like that feed, short play, sleep, you know? Um, So it's not so much timed. It's more about the rhythm in those first three months than the actual, you know, let's look at specific sleep times per se. I love that. And actually, it just brings to mind the idea that parenting doesn't have like an exact science, right? Everyone's unique, mum, dad baby whoever these carers might be actually we can't put a kind of stringent science to it we're all individual which is wonderful it's what makes the world go round but yeah it does mean that perhaps we have to be a little bit more flexible <laughs> flexible is the bit like if you can go in with that mindset of flexibility it's it's going to free you as a parent <laughs> yeah yeah definitely definitely I love that that's really really helpful so I guess it's that that understanding, isn't it? That actually for your baby in the womb, they don't know the difference between daytime, nighttime, when you're asleep, when you're awake. So they kind of can't follow that with us. Um, and, and it's the same when they're born, I guess. Yeah, it is. Amazing. It takes that time to adjust. Yeah. And so did you say around six weeks is when perhaps you could start to think a little bit more about some kind of routine? I mean, it's not going to be stringent, is it? But... Uh... <laughs> That's right. I would say six weeks is a good time to start getting quite like it's it's about being aware of awake windows. So if if um if your listeners haven't heard about awake windows, it's about looking at the developmental time that a baby is capable of staying awake at any given time. And we know these as averages. Like again, as you said, it's plus or minus. You know, there could be a baby that can stay awake longer by fifteen minutes than what the average is and some that can't handle being awake as long. So, you know, I think from six weeks, we know on average that a six-week-old can stay awake for an hour and 15 minutes, give or take 15 minutes either side, generally speaking. So that's when you can start to get a little bit more, okay, I might wake Bub by 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock in the morning and then I'll feed. And then I know that roughly an hour and 15 minutes later, Bub's going to need to go to sleep. And so that's how we then start to create a little bit of, you know, more predictability. It's still not going to be a perfect day. You'll have your perfect days, but you'll also have your days that are completely all over the place. (laughs) But even just understanding that is what's going to help to give a little bit of rhythm and more predictability to your day. I love that, Jen. I'm definitely going to bear that in mind when I try and time a hot coffee. I'm going to be like, right, I should now have this this period. I'll let you know how I go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. Hopefully not too many microwave teas and coffees then. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Iced coffees. (laughs) Yeah, which actually the weather we've got here at the moment is perfect. Yeah. The other thing, Jen, that definitely crops up when parents are navigating their journey is crying. Now, babies do seem to cry a lot and we are all human. And I guess at times this can be a massive challenge for new parents, especially with your first baby, when it is sort of a whole new thing that you're navigating. 
and even perhaps cause some frustration or some tension, especially when you're sleep deprived. And we know when we're sleep deprived, we are not the best versions of ourselves. Um, but how can we try to kind of navigate crying with our new babies? Kind of, I guess, determining why they're crying and maybe being a bit more understanding to try and mitigate some of our frustrations. Mm, because that, that, that's what the biggest problem with crying is. It's, it's what it triggers in us. And as you said, when you're sleep deprived, when you've had a long day, of course you're going to be tri- like, you know, and I think first of all, it's about understanding that it's okay to feel something and to be triggered and to recognize that you're never going to always just cruise through and go, yeah, you know, like, oh, this is fine. It's okay. This is what I always wanted. You know, like that sort of, it's a guilt thing that comes into play. I think when you think, oh, like, oh, I can't stand this. And then you feel guilty for feeling those feelings. So first of all, it's about understanding that every single parent gets triggered. You are not alone. Every single parent gets triggered at some point. We all do have different thresholds um, and throw in sleep deprivation. Absolutely. So I think when it comes to looking at crying, first of all, about reshaping that mindset around, okay, crying is communication. What is my baby trying to tell me? They're trying to tell me something. And yeah, it's really tricky to be able to actually break that down. But I usually sort of look at like babies actually have pretty basic needs. They want a full tummy. They don't like being overtired and overstimulated. They don't like being, you know, dirty and wet and all those sorts of things. And they also need that opportunity to have emotional release. So sometimes when we know if you've fed your baby, if you know that they've had a sleep or they're not tired or overstimulated, if you know they're clean and dry, then sometimes it is actually a space for them to actually let out that bit of emotion with you supporting them without that, you know, that um, expectation that you need to stop things. And wind is another one, I think. Like I would say that they're the biggest five things that are going to be making your baby cry. So if you can sort of work through systematically, you know, I just fed them. I know that they're full. I put, you know, they've just woken up from a sleep. I've just changed their bottom. Then it's sort of almost a matter of ticking the boxes, so to speak. Um, So that just helps to sort of break down the how-to of navigating that crying, but bringing in that mindset stuff too of, okay, you know, this is okay if I feel this way. Can I get a hand to give me a break from the crying? So it's not you the only one having to deal with that. Mm, That's a good tip. I was laughing to myself there, Jen, when you were talking through those basic needs, I was thinking that sounds really similar to a heavily pregnant woman. (laughs) (laughs) We are in the same Make sure we're fed, make sure we're tired, not tired. Sometimes let's have a little emotional uh, let out. Exactly. Let us cry and support us while we do so. (laughs) I love it. That's really useful. So we can kind of run through those pointers and try and and navigate. And I love what you said, actually, Jen, about it's their way of communicating. We forget they can't sit and have a conversation and say, mum, I quite like a snack. You know, that is their only way of, of communicating anything with you is through their cry. So yeah, not, I guess not panicking. I think quite often, Jen, I don't know about you, but when I see parents and their babies are unsettled and crying, they're really panicking, actually. That's because they're doing something wrong or they're, you know, they're not feeding their baby enough or they're, you know, not giving them what, what they need. But actually, like you say, that is just their way of almost talking to you. So it's not a, a guilt thing. It's not that you're doing something wrong. That is just your baby's way of speaking to you. 
Yeah. And sometimes it can actually help to reframe it like, all right, you know, you're not actually saying words, but you are talking. And it's like, all right, this cry, what are you saying? And almost like, you know, responding like, what are you saying to me? And I found like, you know, Georgie's my third baby who's 14 weeks now. And it, the crying's definitely got easier because I can decipher, you know, and I can sort of look at it a bit like take a step back and be like, what's wrong with you, Bubba? What are you trying to say to me? Like, you know, almost speaking to them like that. And that can really help to take the pressure off. Yeah, that's a nice idea, especially if you're feeling frustrated, I guess. And and I guess the more frustrated mum gets or, or dad or carer, the more frustrated baby gets. And then you end up in that like awful vicious cycle of just like disaster. You you just need to take those breaths, don't you? And, and find a little, little bit of headspace to deal with it. Absolutely. Like babies feed off mum and dad. So trying to keep calm it's not always easy (laughs) but that's where that's where tapping out and stepping out and getting someone who's not so you know frustrated in or guilty or whatever that emotion that's coming up for you that's a really good opportunity to do that so that bub isn't feeding off those vibes yeah definitely and that's such a good point jen in terms of asking for help and i think that's something we totally need to discuss more of and encourage more of we seem to have ended up in this culture where asking for help is frowned upon or Mm. if you're asking for help then it's a sign that you can't cope or a weakness and actually being a parent isn't something that was meant to happen on your own you know bring back those days where the whole village got around this new mum and you didn't have to worry about anything other than recovering and feeding your baby you know meals were brought to you the housework didn't matter we totally need to look back in 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 that aspect a little bit more I think and take some of that pressure off oh 100% and you want to know this it's taken me three pregnancies to get there but this time I I said to myself I am going to treat the first 40 days like I'm going to rest as much as possible I actually organized a meal train. So I I texted my um, sister and my mum and I said, can you please make some meals? So, you know, like how, like I didn't put a time frame on it and they cooked so much. I I didn't have to cook my first meal until Georgie was eight weeks old, I think. And then it was a shock to the system. I was like, (laughs) business. But I actually you know, I, I asked, like they might've done it on their own, but they might not have. And I thought, I'm not going to risk it. I've got, I've got a big load. I've got two other kids to look after. I've got a newborn, you know, I'm just going to ask. And so, yeah, I think it is about dropping the pride and just reaching out and saying, what can I do? I can't rely on people just hopefully helping me. I need to actually instigate this. I need to make this happen. Mm. So game changer. (laughs) That is a great tip. And actually, I bet they love doing that for you. I bet they love knowing they were doing something that was actually practically really, really helping you. But often people are reluctant to do it if you haven't asked because they don't want to cause offence. But actually, by you saying, can you do this for me? They probably thought, brilliant. I've got like permission to do something really helpful. Exactly. And like my dad has still been bringing meals because he just really gotten this like, you know, this vibe of just cooking. And I was like, I am fine with that, dad. You just keep on bringing the meals. <laughs> yeah, I love that. To any of my friends or family listening, feel free to stock my freezer. I am not opposed That's to cool. help. <laughs> that is a great tip. And actually to anyone listening who's got a expectant friend or family, I suppose, this is your permission to uh, to cook them a lasagna. <laughs> 
exactly. That's exactly right. Because they, I, I, I will never not take food around for a friend as a gift now. I think it is golden when you're a new parent. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess if you haven't got friends or family near, there's loads of really great um, like online companies now that deliver meals. And actually some of them, if you look at the ingredients, they are as good as a home-cooked meal. It's obviously a more expensive option. But if that's something that is feasible to you and that takes a massive pressure off and makes sure that you're nourishing your body in that postpartum period, then it's the way to go. Perhaps even baby shower gifts, you know, food vouchers and things like that can be more helpful than a thousand gray baby grows. <laughs> Absolutely. That they probably don't even get to wear anyway. <laughs> yeah. And when they do, they just vomit all over them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and actually that brings us in really nicely, Jen, to the subject of sleep deprivation which I know we've kind of touched on but actually when you are sleep deprived the last thing you want to be doing is cooking anyway and then Mm. you're more likely to reach for the kind of takeaway menu and things like that that creep into bad habits and I feel like I understand this a little bit already even though I haven't had our baby from years of night shifts I know that when I'm tired I eat my sleep and I eat my sleep with chocolate and biscuits and takeaways um, so actually having that stash of pretty much ready meals, but cooked nutritionally by someone else can be really helpful when you're navigating that, that sleep deprivation as well, I guess. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mm, absolutely like uh, I knew and again hindsight's a wonderful thing because I've done this twice before I know exactly what I do and I do exactly what you just said and I remember with my first son I was so tired and I would get up and I would just eat a half a block of chocolate as breakfast you know and it just ends up you end up feeling so much worse you know so preparation is everything and if you can't do that preparation then yeah, having something to bring it in because sleep deprivation, like it is something that we have to battle as parents. Like it's broken sleep. It's inevitable. Our babies do need to feed around the clock. So it's about being practical and going, okay, I am going to be tired. So what do I need to make myself feel better while I'm sleep deprived? Well, I need to prioritize rest and rest doesn't always mean sleep. It can just mean resting, like lying on the bed with bub, sideline while you're feeding you know, like taking those opportunities, if you can get naps in every day, amazing. Um, but, you know, going to bed early and good sleep hygiene, drinking all the water, eating well, because all of those things are going to help with your sleep quality and help with your energy levels when you're awake, despite the lack of sleep. So it's just so important because, and I think the interesting thing to always, like we always sort of see, like I'm 14 weeks into having Georgie. And I said to my husband recently that it's only been the last few weeks that the sleep deprivations really hit me where I've started to just feel like, you know, I'm just, I, start, I was like, oh, I'm just tired. Like, and you get up and you're okay. And, but it's just this, it's like you've been going at it now for three months and it's like, yeah, you've got to prep. It's a long-term game. <laughs> So you've got to prep and look after yourself from the get-go. 
That's really great advice. I think like you say, especially in those first sort of few weeks, you're still a little bit adrenaline pumped from kind of what you've gone through and it's all new and you're navigating it. But then as you get more and more down the line, it's a bit like, oh, we still had another broken night's sleep. We still had another broken night's sleep. You can kind of only rally for so long, can't you? Yeah, that's exactly it. It's sort of like, you know, that adrenaline wears off and, and you sort of get into that everyday humdrum like of daily life and you've got to get back into life and do all of the things. And yeah, it's just about knowing that it is that long-term game. So how can you look after yourself to make sure you've still got your, like you're prioritizing yourself, self-care for that, you know, marathon. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. And rest is something that for some reason we end up feeling guilty about doing. And I know I'm totally in that camp sometimes, but actually when you've given birth and gone through pregnancy, it's almost like we forget this crazy journey that your body's been on and is still going on and actually we need to just be like let's let's just take check a minute let's be okay with resting and actually realizing that resting is super productive especially in that postpartum period yeah and you know what I I, and I fell into this trap once again is like it did actually make me feel better but I probably injected myself into exercise too quickly afterwards again like you know you're I think women are sort of triggered by that postpartum body and things are a little bit, you know, floppy and (laughs) you're not feeling your best. And so you sort of think, I'm going to start eating well, I'm going to start losing weight, I'm going to start exercising. But it's probably like there is plenty of time to do that. It's not the, I'd say it's just now at at that three month mark that is, it's a good time to sort of get back into it. And I mean, everyone's different, aren't they? But, you know rest is so important (laughs) definitely oh yeah and underestimated and I often think if we had like another kind of surgery so if we had I don't know a hip surgery or a knee surgery you'd be quite comfortable with taking sort of six to 12 weeks off and resting but when it comes to birth we forget the trauma that actually happens to our bodies and we're bleeding and recovering and we've done it for like nine months of changing our body but for some reason we think a week later we should be back in the gym (laughs) but we kind of need to try and compare it to to the the earlier thing I think that's right like as you said a knee surgery you wouldn't blink an eye like I think my husband had his ACL done he didn't do anything for months like but why do women just inject themselves back into it yeah crazy (laughs) well while they're not sleeping and they're feeding a baby as well (laughs) we can do a lot ladies but we can't do it all (laughs) yeah I love that I I love that I've seen that quote on Instagram recently it's like something like that yeah we we can do anything but not everything exactly like you just got to choose what it is you really want to inject yourself into yeah 100 percent. so talking about that sleep deprivation I went off on a tangent there um <laughs> but but how often Jen can we expect typically our new baby to be awake or asleep in the first sort of few weeks or months yeah I would say in so with daytime sleep you're looking anywhere from six to eight hours of daytime sleep they they tend to sleep a lot in the day you still they can just get quite wakeful when it comes to the evening so you know in an overall um day you're looking at around sort of 16 to 18 hours of sleep across the whole day that's varies because there's babies that have high sleep needs and lower sleep needs and so in terms of naps that might be spread out over around four to five naps i'd usually say um, and then nighttime sleep, you're looking at probably feeding still roughly around every three hours or so. Again, massively varies depending on women's breast milk capacity, if you're formula feeding, all sorts of different things going on. 
Um, in terms of nap length, they can vary anywhere from around 30 minutes where it's just a short nap or naps can go for as long as, you know, three, four hours at a time. I usually say to families in the first, especially when these days and nights are mixed up, I try and encourage families to just gently, you know, poke the baby a little bit if it's getting to that sort of four hours from the last feed. I find that babies do feed so much better when they just feed to demand. So waking them too soon can be quite counterproductive because they probably won't feed well anyway. But if you can, if they're starting to get to that, you know, four hours since that the start of the last feed, it can be useful just to give them that little poke because otherwise they are going to feed. It's need to feed a lot at some point and preferably if we can not make that at midnight for you, that would be ideal. But That sounds you know, good. <laughs> that would be lovely. That would be lovely. <laughs> So, you know, sometimes just giving them, usually around that four-hour mark anyway, they're pretty hungry. So usually you're pretty safe to start to stir them by that point. That's a great tip. I love that. And I guess that means that hopefully you avoid getting to that point where you're trying to feed a baby that is ravenous. And that can be a challenge as well. Once they've kind of, it's like us and we get over hungry and we're just hangry and actually then trying to navigate feeding them can be really challenging as well, can't it? As much as if they're not hungry enough and they're not bothered. Exactly, because a hungry baby is a very upset baby and then very upset babies don't attach so well. So, yeah. Amazing. Good tips, Jen. I am taking note. And then (laughs) how can we kind of best support their sleep needs as a parent? Is there like an environment that we can set up um, and things like that? Yeah, I think that the biggest things, especially in the early weeks to try and aim for is respecting those awake windows that I mentioned. So, you know, it goes from 45 minutes of awake time to about an hour and 15 minutes by six weeks. And then it sort of stretches to an hour and a half by three months. So being aware of awake windows is so very important because then you're avoiding the overtired baby. So there's that. There is the feeding because hungry babies are not going to feed well, uh, sleep well, I should say. But they're also, we also don't want to be um, overfeeding them and that's going to be leading to, you know, the wind and all of those sorts of things. But nice full bellies, getting those awake times right. And I think when it comes to sleep environment, it's pretty, like I actually talk about in the first six weeks, try and have your baby sleep out in the natural. I'm pointing around at the moment, but it's actually 8 p.m. at night and it's dark here. So <laughs> not a good example. But in the middle of the day, having the lights open. So, you know, um, lots of natural light because the way the circadian rhythm is going to regulate where the days become the days and the nights become the nights is going to be by exposing them to as much natural light as possible. So in the first six weeks, that environment is ideal. Once they've woken up, moving to a more, you know, like how we like to sleep. It's, you know, like we, I don't know very many people that like to sleep with lights on or with the sun streaming through the window. So when we go to bed, we tend to draw the blinds, we close the curtains. Darkening that room for our baby is also going to be really useful. And some babies really love um, that continuation of all of the noise that they heard when they were in utero. So something like white noise and things like that can be really useful. Um, but not all babies need that. Like some babies, I know for me, we use white noise because I've got two older boys, the barrel around this house. And it's all like Georgie would wake at every little noise if I didn't have that going. So for us, that's a very useful tool for us to use. 
Um, but that is the biggest things I think is focusing. And also I think when it comes to settling, understanding that your baby's first three months is an extension of pregnancy. It is the fourth trimester and expecting a lot of your baby's going to sleep the best when they're on you, you know, those contact naps. And that's obviously not ideal at the nighttime. Like I definitely, it's going to be um, better for your sleep. And I mean, I don't know what the guides for safe sleeping are over in the UK, but we talk a lot about in Australia, you know, having bub having their own sleep space, back to sleep, all of those sorts of things. Um, and it means for a better sleep for you too, I think, because you're not worrying about, you know, bub's right there but if you do safe if you do co-sleep or bed share i should say it's even just about having those safe um you know situation or bed set up organized so that you're not just throwing bub into bed under the, the doona cover and all of those sorts of things so oh yeah definitely. But they're, yeah they're the biggest things i think is um looking at making sure bub's nice and full respecting those awake windows and in terms of the environment, nice and bright the first six weeks and then moving towards a darker environment in the, you know, six weeks and beyond. I love that. That's really useful because I think often we would think even for those daytime naps about creating a dark environment. But like you say, actually, you want them to learn that it's the daytime. <laughs> so so right. actually allowing them to build that rhythm. That's a that's a great one. And um, just talking about the, the safer sleeping, there's an amazing website in the UK. I'm not sure if it's in Australia called the Lullaby Trust. Um, that I always recommend new pet or new or expectant parents have a little read of. And I was really lucky on my on the second uh, season of the podcast. I'm joined by um, Stella, who's one of the workers from the Lullaby Trust. So if anyone wants to look into a little bit more about safer sleeping, highly recommend those two resources because obviously it's a really important. It's a horrible thing to have to consider as an expectant parent, but a really important thing to kind of educate yourself on as well. Mm, absolutely. So interaction with these babies. So when they are awake, it would be that maybe not so often in the earliest days. Um, what interaction is important in that kind of early new, newborn period? So I guess we want to try and help support their kind of healthy development and meeting some of those early milestones. What kind of things should we be doing? Oh, it is, it's beautiful those early weeks because what you are looking for is just those lovely interactions. It is the eye contact it's skin to skin if you throw in a little bit of you know like we talk about tummy time and things like that but when it comes to tummy time we're not expecting these new little babies to be on the floor and doing their thing lifting themselves up it is tummy time on you it's it's bub being up here on your chest and and just lying on your chest with you semi-reclined or reclined and then just having that opportunity to really have small efforts in being able to lift up their neck and lift up their head and do it in a way that, you know, is, is close to mum or dad. Um, but it is, and it's just the, like, as I said, the best thing that you can do with your baby is just to have them, they can only see, they can, their vision is very much developing in the first three months. They can't see further than 30 centimetres away from you in those first six weeks. And even then things are blurry but they can recognize your face regardless. They can recognize your voice and having them close to you and just speaking to them. This is the begin. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of their speech and receptive language and uh, all of those amazing developmental skills, but it's, it only has to be simple. 
one thing that we did do early on with Georgie um, was use contrast cards. So babies can see black and white and then the next color to come in is red. So there's really great contrast cards that you can download for free from the internet. And that's really good for developing their eyesight. But honestly, if in the first six weeks, the only thing that you do is skin to skin contact, look at your baby, smile at them, goo goo gaga, which I don't think you have to tell very many parents to do this. They're just doing it themselves. Um, if that's what you do, you are kicking goals and that is well and truly meeting all their developmental needs. Amazing, Jen. That's really helpful to hear because I think sometimes you feel like we need to be like, you know, researching all these different games we should be playing or things we should be saying but actually just I guess just being there and having that interaction and I guess using times even like when you're changing their nappy you know use that as a little time to sort of have a little chat and look at them and and things like that Mm, it's beautiful too because I mean they just develop so quickly and like you know I'm a naturally, I just walk around the house and I'll just sing. Like, so I think, and my mum does the same. So clearly it's passing down from generation to generation. So it's very um, organic for me to just be singing to the kids and singing to Georgie. And, you know, we start to do sort of bicycle legs with her. And so she's only 14 weeks. So that like, it really does evolve. And, you know, you've just got to do what feels right. Because for some people walking around the house singing doesn't, you know, that's not, that's not what comes naturally to them but perhaps it's about sitting down and it's never too early to read books. Um, never. Like I, I've already started reading books to, and I had definitely done it with the kids, but you don't, like, I think the biggest thing to take away is you don't have to, you can just simply do these simple things and your baby will be getting all of the developmental input and sensory input and all of those things that they need. Amazing. I think if I um, was walking around singing in the house, Jen, my neighbors would complain. <laughs> But oh, I do chat. Definitely not a good voice here. <laughs> I love it. That's really, really helpful. Now, Jen, you've shared loads of tips with us. So I am super grateful and we'll definitely be taking some of those away in our parenting journey. But I wonder if you could just share a three top tip summary to parents for those early days. Now I know it's always it's always hard narrowing it down to three when you're so knowledgeable but let's see how we go (laughs) yeah and I think that like this was actually really good because because I'm so fresh out of it I was like what was it that was the most important thing for you like having just come out of it and for me it was taking those first 40 days and I I probably got a little bit you know um, restless around the four week mark I'm not gonna lie but that first six weeks of just taking it slow And even though I'm a lactation consultant, like we had breastfeeding issues at the start, just, you know, bub getting used to attachment, all of those things. So spending those early days that if you're planning on breastfeeding, that's your role. Those first 40 days to be at home, slow down. Your job is to rest, learn how to feed your baby, whether it's breast or bottle, and get to know them. So I think that's my biggest tip when it comes to the start. The second one is, and we've, covered it as well but it's about asking for help and it's not you know we always hear about yep let's call them meal trains but like one thing that practically really helped me in the early days is I've been breastfeeding but my husband I'd go to bed at nine o'clock or you know 8 30 sometimes at night and he'd actually do the first feed so it meant that I'd have to pump milk and then but he'd do that first feed I would sleep for six hours like straight which is heaven 
when you're a new mum. So like, yes, sometimes it meant that I then had to pump and, you know, you don't want to do it too soon into your breastfeeding journey if you're struggling with engorgement or just getting the hang of things and all those sorts of things. But that's a really practical way of getting that help in. So it's even just delegating that feed so that you get a little bit of extra rest, even if it's not every night and just once a week. Um, And I think then that the third one is to establish a bedtime routine or rhythm as soon as you can. So I think I actually shared a reel on Instagram of Georgie and she would have only been about three weeks or four weeks. And it was just a really simple rhythm. So again, this wasn't timed like I spoke about at the start. It all based on when she woke from her last nap, but it would always go feed from one side, bath, feed from the other side. Um, no, sorry, into the sleeping bag and then feed it to the other side and into bed. And so like, it's just a very simple rhythm that we had to our night. It wasn't based on exact times or anything like that, but it was a great way to wind her down and babies don't need to be bathed every day. So you could absolutely alternate it with even just a body massage, but whatever suits you and your family, just creating some rhythm. And it's good for you as well, I think, because your baby learns so quickly what, you know, from a very early age, Georgie, you could tell that she knew that bath time meant that it was like the end of the day. Like they're so clever. Um, And yeah, just creating some sort of rhythm that helps you to help to signify the end of the day. And it's a really great way to um, yeah, relax your baby and relax you leading up into bedtime. That's a great tip, especially it allows that little bit of bonding time as well, doesn't it? Towards the end of the day and everyone just sort of starts to calm down. Especially if I guess if you feel like your routine has completely exploded, actually just having that little bedtime rhythm, like you explained, is is quite a nice little bit of control in a in an uncontrolled environment. Yeah, and that's it. It's like it's not like we're like, okay, six o'clock it's uh bath time. It's you know, every day would be a little bit different for us. Um, but it was still, it was just something that we knew how the end of the day went that's I think the best way to put it is we knew how the end of the day went <laughs> yeah which is nice that gives you a little bit of structure a little bit Jen thank you so much for your time I am super grateful and for those of you who want to check out more of Jen's wonderful resources especially for those early parenting days you'll find her Instagram page linked in the bio of this podcast so please check that out because yeah there is lots of wisdom and top tips to be taken from from Jen's content so thank you so much for joining us Jen I am very grateful I know you are navigating a crazy lockdown parenting new baby life so thank you for coming on and sharing all your tips and knowledge with us no I've absolutely loved it thank you so much for inviting me on Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you found it helpful, then please hit subscribe and leave a review. It really does make a huge difference to the number of women I can reach out to and empower with this information. For more daily free information, inspiration or details on my bespoke antenatal education courses or your pregnancy journey course, then head over to my website, www.midwifepip.com and check out my Instagram page at midwife underscore pip. Thank you and see you next time.
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.